Welcome to the Atlanta Legacy Makers Podcast. I'm Floyd Hall. Shaniqua Gay is a visual artist from Atlanta, Georgia, whose work includes fine art, public art, and installations. In this conversation, I chat with Shaniqua about her Atlanta roots, some of the notable moments and decisions along her art journey, and what gives her a sense of calmness and connectedness in Atlanta these days. Shaniqua, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to have this time with you today. And I always love to talk to Atlanta natives because there's a unique legacy that we all sort of share in that. And so I know you you have a deep history in this city. So what is what is your Atlanta story, if you will? Um, my Atlanta story, I guess, begins at Grady Hospital, <laughs> right where most Atlantans um, were born, or at Crawford Long, if your family had that insurance. Um, I I was born at Grady Hospital. Um, my family resided over off of what was, uh, or what is now Metropolitan Avenue. Um, I knew it to be Stewart Avenue growing up, and um, yeah, just. Um, growing up with my parents, with my cousins, both sides of my parents' families have very large um, uh, family members. And so my father is the largest. He is the oldest of 10. Um, and all of them uh, still reside over in Atlanta. Um, so my history uh, within Atlanta, I guess, would be kind of Southwest Atlanta and the West End. Being that you were born here, um talk about your your growing up you know what did atlanta feel like to you um in your in your adolescence in your early days how did you connect to what the city was how did you connect to it as you know your home just what what were your first inklings about this city as as your your birthplace I just remember having a lot of pride in where I was from um, and still have that pride. And I'm not sure where that comes from because I feel like there's a a level of, I don't know, I feel like Atlanta's a very territorial. (laughs) Um, And the same way that, you know, people from Bronx or Harlem or from Texas you know, uh, shout out their cities. I feel like Atlantans are the same way. And so, um, you know, having pride maybe steeped in Yassine, <laughs> which I know that's probably bad, but I just remember Yassine's off of Cleveland Avenue, going to Yassine's a lot and getting fish sandwiches and that special kind of purple lemonade that they had. <laughs> and I know that's like, um, a random thing to remember, but it just, there was just so much pride in that. I remember um, my father uh, taking us to Grant and Piedmont Parks to go to the concerts that they would have every weekend. Um, I remember lollipops and walking to West End Mall. I remember picnics. Um, yeah, just there, there are so many I guess specific things. I remember going to my 
first having my first skate party at Cascade Skating Ring. Um, and I'm not a good skater, um, which I felt like that was a random thing for my parents to do because I'm not a good skater. But yeah, those are those are some of my memories. As you began to grow up and think about how you would move in in the world and in this space, when did when did art first become something that spoke to you? When did you first know that that's something that you would be uh, be into and be involved with? How did that first um, become a thing for you in, in your world? Um, I just remember my mom taking my brother and I to libraries and I being very much drawn to um, how to draw books. I would get a lot of how to draw books. So it would be Looney Tunes and animals and stuff like that. And um, I remember um, just creativity, anything creative being a thing for me just as a child. So whether it was drawing, whether it was singing, um, I used to write plays with my cousins <laughs> and we would perform in the living room. Um, so just anything creative was like a huge thing for me. Uh, I remember participating in dance um, in school and participating in choir and playing the violin. Anything creative, uh, any type of creative outlet was just huge for me as a young person. And so um, I believe when my parents realized that it wasn't just like a thing with me, because I was also like an entrepreneur, right? So from those how-to draw books, I would make like greeting cards and I would sell them to my family members. Or like my mom, I worked for a photo imaging company. Um, and she would, you know, sometimes during the summers if she didn't want my brother and I to stay at home, she would bring us to work with her and I would sell, um, yeah, my cards and my drawings to people on her job. I would get commissions from people on her job. To, 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 that's just crazy that I'm remembering this. Um, yeah, commissions from people on her job to like draw models or draw clothing designs and, and things like that. Um, my mother worked um, at, I believe it was Mizell, which was over off of Ponce de Leon. And um, yeah, I just remember going down there a good bit. And yeah, just kind of like spinning, spinning my my web of creativity and understanding that I could um I could make money with my gift. And so I think like the moment that I had, well, my parents may have had like maybe you need to do something about this. Like my parents had sent me to my room for punishment, and I drew on the wall. Um, and I can't remember what the punishment was for, but I remember my mom coming up calling my father up and I felt like I was in trouble and she was like, Jerome, we're gonna have to get Shaniqua some art classes. <laughs> we're gonna have to get her some art classes. One, I was relieved I wasn't in trouble, more trouble than I was already in. Um, but two, that they they um were intuitive enough to extend me beyond where I was, um, and to see my gift and help me to give birth to that. Um and that Trail followed me from elementary school on through high school on into college. I went to college for um, initially graphic design, and I really didn't begin to kind of step into the fine art realm maybe till my mid, yeah, maybe mid twenties. 
and I had a challenge from a girlfriend of mine, Felice Martin, who, um, yeah, she just kind of pulled me to the side. She took me to lunch. Um, she encouraged me to write a business plan for my art and to really get serious about it and to stop just being a craft and hobby person, uh, which was what I was. So the same thing I was doing as a child, kind of selling my, my work, maybe as an option, <laughs> a way to, you know, save or get additional money. Uh, she, she challenged me. She was like, I, I really believe you have a gift and I really believe you're being lazy about it. And so I wrote a business plan uh, took my work over off of what was then Bakehead Highway <laughs> um, to this um, art company um, that would purchase your original work uh, in order to make copies. And I met a another artist down there named Doyle Cloyd. And Doyle said, look, before you sell your original work, he was like, let me show you some other avenues to create your work uh, and to make money with your work. And so Doyle took me down to Castleberry Hills. Um, and at the time, a really super popular artist at the time was Monica Tooks. Um, he introduced me to Monica. He introduced me to this cat named Gerald, uh, Gerald Ivy, this cat named Meryl. He introduced me to Kevin Wack Williams, the great. Um, Kevin at that time was like, you know, the braggadocio artist. Um, that everybody knew that Kevin had made a substantial amount of money from his artist. I think Kevin had, was like one of the first um, black artists to make like several million dollars from copies, right? From just the reproduction of of his work, which everybody can say that some member of their family has a copy of Kevin Williams' <laughs> artwork in their household, in their salon, barbershop, somewhere. He is just that uh, well reproduced. Um, but, you know, in collaborating and being mentored by Doyle, he kind of helped me get my feet wet in what it meant to market myself as an artist, um, make connections as a creative, get myself into galleries. And it was just a really great first introduction coming from being in the hobby world. And I think that was a really long answer. I hope I answered <laughs> I hope I answered um, appropriately. I just realized I may be rambling. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. Great history lesson <laughs> back story for you. Um and I'm glad that you, you mentioned that that path and how things unfolded for you because you know all artists, all of us personally, you know, individuals, we have those uh, impactful moments, those conversations, those mentors, those confidants, all those folks who will, you know, see something in us um, right. and, and, and want to nurture that and push that forward. So we have to create space to acknowledge those folks when, when the moments arise. And so I think when I consider where you are as an artist now, uh, the earliest show or series that I can recall is your Fair Game series which was at Hammond's house. And so I guess I would love for you to maybe talk about where the narrative from your work stems from um, and how are you shaping that uh, as you continue to you know, advance and evolve that narrative? The Fair Game series was developed from initially a dream state 
um, I kept dreaming about the Fair Game series, and specifically, um, one of the first works that I developed uh, was Fair Game 1, where there are these men that are kind of leaping and jumping, uh, um, trying to get away from, like, a hunter. And I know that those dreams were greatly much, were very much influenced by media. So at the time, um, maybe about 2006, about 2006, I believe, um, I began to develop um, sketches for the work, but I never really set out to <laughs> create it um, because at the time, the work that I had stepped out on to um, define myself was steeped in kind of Southern culture, um, steeped in like Black women in church Sunday hats and right, these kind of figure, figurine images, kind of Annie, Annie Lee-ish stuff. And I had a following, I had a collector base, and I felt like if I shifted away from that, I would lose. I would lose collectors and I was still, you know, fairly new on the scene and just getting my feet wet in art games. So I was like, no, that would be too risky. So I waited about another two years before I really began to develop that. Um, but we were just being bombarded by um, this kind of consistency and having black males and just black lives in, in, in particular being impacted by police brutality. Um, and it's not that that wasn't something that already existed. It was that we had constant access to it through social media um, and through our phones and through cameras that you're able to like get it on camera and to be able to see it. And so I just really felt passionate about the work. Um, I'm the mother of African-American male. Um, I'm also the daughter of a black man i'm also the sister of a black man friend the lover like i'm just like for me having this kind of visceral response to what i'm seeing on the news i'm like these men look like people i know um and you know we have this kind of um fictive kinship um within the black community where we all feel like we're all brothers and sisters and we address each other for the most part in that way. And, you know, through this kinship and feeling like I'm seeing men that I know, I wanted to talk about the these issues that were happening in our community. Um, what I can now say is maybe uh, a didactic approach, trying to just teach and <laughs> specifically say, this is what's happening. Um, I began to develop these hybrid images of black men as deer, deer as the most hunted um, creature here in the Americas, uh, deer as being grace, as being elegant, um, as being able to transcend time, as being able to change deer as representations of renewal, hybridity as representations of God-like figures, God being hunted in America. Um, so I, I feel like I was collapsing a couple of things in, in one space. Um, the didactic is that it almost reads, yeah, like 
like you're looking at maybe an advertisement, if you will, um, like a book. Uh, the images are pretty much grayscale, black and gray, and um, with the background being, uh, you know, bare wood from, from the wood panel. And I feel like the images are graceful, um, but they also gracefully speak about uh, difficult subject matter. With that being said, I feel like your work is in conversation with what's happening in the community. Um, I think that lots of people can look at your work and understand the the energy and the emotion that it it evokes. But I think that combined with your legacy and your history and your upbringing in Atlanta, I think it creates a certain type of intersection point um, for you to both, you know, be a conduit for conversations that are happening in the community, but also a reflection of the community. Um, mm. So with, with that being said, how do you, how do you see yourself as, as both that conduit and reflection of what's happening in, in, in the community in Atlanta? I feel like I'm a storyteller. I feel like I'm a griot. Um, and a part of my start storytelling is to tell the counter narrative of the way I see things you know, or the way I may deem that my community sees things. Um, and not with the language that I quote unquote speak for us. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping to be a part of the fabric. Uh, I may be a small part of the fabric, but <laughs> I'm I'm hoping to to see myself as a part of this um, this large fabric of creatives that live here in Atlanta, um, that are visual artists, that are musicians, um, that are dancers, that are writers, that are poets. Um, my God, Atlanta has so much talent here, um, talent that is seen and unseen. Um, and I'm hoping to see myself as part of that, that fabric of um, creativity and that fabric of justice and advocacy, uh, the loud voices that did not just uh, come out of Martin Luther King during the civil rights era, but so many again, sung and unsung uh, people of of uh, of color, Black people here in Atlanta. Um, I, I want to be considered in the number of, of Black people who told our story um, and told our story from a Southern perspective, um, from a Southern Black woman's perspective, in <laughs> um, that you know, I hope that I'm lending something that future generations will be able to pull from and and have, you know, hopefully a level of continuity um, that this story that I'm telling will extend beyond me, will live beyond me. So as you continue to tell that story and exist as part of that continuum, who are some of the people who you maybe look to that were part of previous generations that you felt 
you're you're following behind. Who who are who are some of those folks who represent uh that legacy of of not just storytelling but advocacy and community building? What were some of the the names or just the people or the the moments that you feel uh you're adding to or or building, you know, building onto as you move forward? Um well I would say the the known and the unknown. So my family, um, like I said, my father's family is mostly from Atlanta. My mother's family is from Dallas, Georgia. And in Dallas, Georgia, it's a lot of history that the battle plan has laid there. Um, a lot of uh, record breakers up there, a lot of firsts. <laughs> um, and so I'm coming from, you know, Chesterine Battle, one of the, you know, first, um, black people to to run for office in Dallas, Georgia. I'm coming from Dana Battle, um, first African American woman to be crowned homecoming queen in Baldwin County. I'm coming from Timothy Battle, um, one of the first African Americans, um, you know, to be a part of the immigration offices here in Atlanta. Like I'm coming from uh, history makers maybe not known to others, but I know what my family has contributed. And so I speak to my family first. I'm coming from a Stella battle, my great grandmother, um, who is just a, a, a legacy builder in and of herself. My mother was the first African-American girl to integrate the schools in, in Dallas, Georgia. So um, legacy and history making is a part of the fabric of my family. Um, when we're talking about the knowns, um, oh my gosh, you mentioned Maynard Jackson. Um, Maynard Jackson wasn't <laughs> not just a huge man physically, he was just a huge being overall. And just what I love um, about the stories that I've heard about him, I had, you know, opportunity to meet him um, once or twice as a young person, and he had such dreamy eyes, put that out there. Um, but that he was honest and that he was accessible and that he used his his privilege, his skin color, and his influence to gain access for Black people here in Atlanta. And he opened doors. And so I hope um, that as I continue to have opportunity, that I too will continue to be one who opens doors for other creative individuals, Black women, um, youth, um, and otherwise that come along and want to be able to share and tell their stories um, as, as important persons here in Atlanta. Um, when I'm thinking about, you know, um, just amazing women here, um, Pearl Clegg, <laughs> Um, and like the known and unknowns, like Camille Love, amazing woman, um, uh, Dr. Roberta Gardner, who has been an amazing mentor um, and, you know, intelligent ac academic woman, and her husband, Morris Gardner, who is director over at um, uh, Auburn Research Library. They both were very much pinnacle um, in helping me along with my uh, creative pathway and their pinnacle here in Atlanta, just in general. So uh, I can think of a lot of people <laughs> uh, who have really helped pave the way, um, not just for me, but for so many others. And so I hope um, more than anything that 
yeah, like I said, I'm I'm going to be in a position and have been in a position to create and um, give opportunities to others. Yeah. Returning back to you, what centers you? What gives you the most sense of 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 calm or centeredness or home um, when it comes to Atlanta these days? Mm. <laughs> I was about to say Krispy Kreme donuts, but I haven't had one in a very, very long time. <laughs> As I should not. Um, but definitely when I have the opportunity, the, the, the tickle of my bare feet and the grass over at Piedmont Park feels good. That feels like home. Um, or just, I don't know, just kind of being out and being able to observe the changes. You know, I had a friend of mine tell me to begin to take a picture of the Atlanta landscape every year because it's going to change dramatically over the next decade, which it has, right? This is something he advised that I do, like, I don't know, about three or four years ago. And just the landscape has just changed so dramatically. Um, and just being aware of of the changes and and moving with it and not um, being one to like struggle against it um but what gives me peace and calm is like kind of you know being able to sit over in my studio in college park and be in a place of peace um i love historic college park i love that it's not too far from anything and i love that the train station is literally uh, within walking distance for me to kind of have access to kind of come and go uh, I love the new restaurants that are coming up. Uh, those who know me personally know that food is like a thing. <laughs> so every now and then I love going over to the Real Milk and Honey, which is in walking distance to go grab me some food, some brunch. That just feels great. Um, and and just loving where I am and loving where I'm from and just the smell and the looks of Georgia is just wonderful. There is nothing better than a clear blue sky um, in Georgia. And that just brings like a, <laughs> a humongous smile to my face. Um, and there's nothing like being a, a black Southern peach woman. So like those things <laughs> give me joy. Um, you know, my mother's cakes and sweet potato pies give me joy. Um, hanging out with my elder gives me joy and being able to glean wisdom from them. And when I have a chance, cutting the food with my cousin gives me joy and helps me to remember who I am and keeps me grounded. Um, those are just a few things. Shaniqua Gay, visual artist, Atlanta native, Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your perspective. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Floyd. It's been great speaking with you. Always great to talk to you. Atlanta Legacy Makers is an initiative led by Central Atlanta Progress and the City of Atlanta. Special thanks to our amazing partners, Atlanta Downtown Improvement District, Atlanta Public Schools, Constellations, Gene Kansas Commercial Real Estate, 
the Ivan Allen College of Liberal Arts at Georgia Tech, one Atlanta, and Supporter Report. Atlanta Legacy Makers is hosted and produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Music by Smith & Cash. Last but not least, thank you, Atlanta.